Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Night of the Living Dead from 1968. Directed by George Romero, written by George Romero and John A. Russo, starring Dwayne Jones, Judith O'Day, Carl Hardman, and Marilyn Eastman. In this film, a group of strangers take shelter in an abandoned farmhouse as an unknown phenomenon causes the dead to come back to life as flesh-eating ghouls. If you're new to the show, we're going to be having a spoiler-free chat for the first 15 or 20 minutes, but after that, we'll play some transition music, take a little break, and come back and be full-on spoiler mode at that point. So you'll want to duck out and go watch this movie. You can stream it from a number of places if you haven't seen it yet, but you can hang out for the first 15 or 20 minutes here. And this is... A zombie movie, but Ashwin, it's basically the first zombie movie, right? Uh, yeah, what do you think? The first American zombie movie or first zombie yeah. zombie movie? That's it. First zombie zombie movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there had been zombie movies before. I can't say I'm familiar with those movies. I haven't seen them, but mm-hmm. it sounds like it was mostly like voodoo type zombies, people under some sort of mind control. Yeah. What uh, what was the movie we saw with zombies down uh, on an island somewhere in the south? Zombie. Oh yeah, uh, that that was yeah, before alternately this? called Zombie or Zombie Two. Right, and that that was before this film, right? No, 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 no. That was from boy, what years that? Was from? that I want to say that's from nineteen seventy nine or nineteen eighty. Oh, okay, okay, so this came before that. Okay, oh, got it. Yeah, for some reason, uh, I, I saw that too, though. Like, you had zombie films before, but they're more voodoo types, so I assumed that fell into that bucket. But, um, no, mm. that, that's interesting. So you think this is the first representation on film uh, of zombies, then, or like, as we know them today? Yeah, I mean, this is the first representation of zombies as we know them today that come back from the dead to feed on the flesh of the living. Oh, cool, cool. That's really neat. Yeah, like this set the template um, along with Dawn of the Dead 10 years later um, for most of the zombie media that would come out over the next 50 years. And that movie you bring up, Zombie, um, also titled Zombie 2, Z-O-M-B-I, Zombie 2 was a, like marketed as a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Remember that? Oh, right, right. That's what it was, yeah. So it's at least from 1978, but it's, I think it was 1979 or 1980. I can't oh, remember wow. the year. Okay, okay, late 70s. Interesting. Yeah. And then uh, they don't even ever use the word zombie in this movie, though, right? No. I, ghouls is probably the, the most often used phrase. Yeah. That's so crazy. So they invented the the creature, but the name of it, like, uh, and calling it a zombie didn't come till years later, I guess? Yeah. I can't remember where the where it got put, where zombie got put onto these ghouls. Right. Uh, definitely by Dawn of the Dead, uh, zombie must have been... More I think by Dawn of the Dead they were they were saying zombie. Okay. And we covered Dawn of the Dead listeners way back in the beginning, so you could go back and listen to that episode, but don't judge it too harshly. Oh yeah, that was like in our like one of our first few episodes, right? I feel like it was like the fourth or fifth episode we did. Right, right. Yeah. Also Romero, or yeah, that one was Romero as well, right? Yeah, I mean he did like a bunch of this is an interesting franchise in that they're all directed by the guy who did the first one. Not mm. every franchise is like that. You know, you get a lot of directors coming in and out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the franchise is Night of the Living Dead from 1968, Dawn of the Dead from 1978, Day of the Dead from 1985, 
Land of the Dead from 2005, Diary of the Dead from 2007, and Survival of the Dead from 2009. Wow, yeah, he did all of those. What, what, is, what a career. Uh, that, yeah, it spans like 40, 50 years, huh? Yeah, yep. Yeah, and I mean, he did plenty of other stuff aside from those movies as well. Um, he did Creep Show, he did The Crazies, Season mm-hmm. of the Witch, Martin, Monkey Shines. Yep. And uh, recently he had a movie released for the first time in wide release, a movie that he filmed in 1975. Have oh. you heard about that? The Amusement Park? No, no. It was recently released? Yeah, it was previously considered lost, but wow. it is now available to watch on Shudder, and it is a educational film about elder abuse. Oh, wow. So it's not like even a horror film? No, but it kind of is at the same time. It's like this old guy going through an amusement park, and the whole amusement park is uh, symbolic of society and the way we treat uh, old people. Wow. <laughs> and it's kind of disturbing in its own way and, and depressing. That's awesome. I got to check that out. You've seen it? I have, yeah. It's only, it's, I think it's just a little over an hour or something. Okay. Wow, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, uh, even before, like I know this was his first film, but it sounds like before this he was doing like Mr. Rogers, like an episode on there. Uh, he didn't really have like much of a horror background before he did this film, did he? No, he didn't. He um, did a short film in 1962 called Expostulations, but I think that was comedy. Mm. Um, but yeah, he he was his production company, The Latent Image, was they did a couple short films for the Mister Rogers Show. Sure, one of which was Mister Rogers getting his tonsils out. <laughs> yeah, that sounds horrific. <laughs> Apparently, they did some beer commercials, um, but Night of the Living Dead was his first feature film. Got it. And his big break. Yep. And uh, have you seen the remake that they did in 1990? I've seen part of it. I think I watched that at Amy and Joseph's house one night late at night and then was like passing out as I was watching it. So (laughs) I don't remember it very well, but I'd like to see that. I didn't include that in the franchise. It feels more kind of like an offshoot since I normally would, but since Romero directed all these. Except he um, didn't do that one though, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, hard to not count, count that as the franchise, but yeah. Yeah, I think Tom Savini directed that, which is crazy to see that uh, that he was behind that one. Yeah, I'd really like to see that. I need to get around to that. Sure, but I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you remake a film like this. Uh, it's it's so unique. Yeah, I've heard it's not that bad. Oh, okay, cool. We'll have to check it out. Sorry, I expect it to be bad, Tom Savini, but just a remake <laughs> of this classic from the year nineteen ninety that. I think not a lot of people even know exists. It's just kind of like, oh, that has to be bad. Yeah, but, I, yeah. I totally assumed it was shit. Let's get to that. Yeah, I've heard it's decent. Okay, cool. Um, another offshoot of the franchise are the Return of the Living Dead films, which we covered the original there. John A. Russo um, wrote that movie. They kind of ended their partnership, John A. Russo and Romero, mm-hmm. uh, when they disagreed about the future of the franchise. So Russo took it a more comedic route, even though, Ashwin didn't find it very funny. Yeah, I, I think he uh, he might have mis- mixed up the scripts. Uh, forgot to bring the comedy part in on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and I read like even with this film, there was a version that was supposed to be more comedic, but it sounds like it went through a number of rewrites and it landed to where it was today. So it, it makes sense that he would split off and try to build out the franchise he envisioned. Sure, right. Yeah, and I think Romero had the short, he had the story written, and mm-hmm. then he was working on the screenplay, and just production started, and he didn't have time anymore, so Russo came on to finish it. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, um, it's a 
well-received film, um, not at the time maybe, but uh, history has been kind to it. It's got a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, 87% from users. Mm-hmm. The budget was between 114k and 125k, and uh, the box office is kind of hard to pin down. Like, if you believe Box Office Mojo, it was 236,000. If you believe Forbes Magazine, it's 30 million. So <laughs> that's quite a range. <laughs> yeah, a big range. Yeah. And in reality, I think the box office was hard to track because, due to a screw up by the distributor Walter Reed. They forgot to put the little C copyright symbol oh, at the end of the movie's title when it right. appeared on screen. Right, right. So it had no copyright protection, and it was pirated, like copies of the film itself, um, which made it impossible to know how much money it made. Like pirated versions were being shown in theaters even. Oh, really? I assumed all that would happen on the back end, like on uh, video on demand or, or streaming or yeah, VHSs and stuff. You think that was happening in the theater as well? I think it was. That was the impression that I got. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I know. Yeah. What, what a what a mix-up. And, and now because of that, like this, uh, there's no copyright on this, and it's like part of the, uh, what, it's like a, a national... Uh, public domain. Yeah, it's in the public domain, yeah. So no, no, yep. one, no one's getting any uh, money on this one right now? Unfortunately, no. And Romero's production company tried to sue Walter Reed, but they couldn't because Walter Reed ultimately went bankrupt. Oh, man. That sucks. So this is why 75% of the time that a character in a horror movie is watching a horror movie, mm-hmm. it's Night of the Living Dead because <laughs> you don't have to pay any royalties. You don't have to get permission. Oh, man, that's so clever. That's that's good. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, you don't think uh, that was part of the strategy because I'm sure they didn't make that mistake on the sequels. And it's it's kind of like, you know, you, you put something free out there, you build the interest uh, and, and the following behind it, and then it's going to serve you all on your follow-ups, right? I don't know that that business strategy was around oh. for f- filmmaking, at least, in 1968. Yeah, yeah, right. Especially, I mean, it's not really even around now. Yeah, that's true. I don't, Well, you know, sometimes uh, a show comes out uh, and you can, like, get, like, it's like your seven-day free trial or something of, of like, a, a subscription platform or something. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, you bit. get the first movie for free. No, he knows he's going to make another like exactly what five movies over the course of the next four exactly. years. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm, I'm sure we're all like pretty successful, right? Financially. Uh, I don't know about that. Once you get into like Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Those. Sound but what so happened was that it was originally titled Night of the Flesh Eaters, I believe, and then Walter Reed then changed the title. And when they put the new title on screen, that's when they forgot the the copyright symbol. Damn. <laughs> that's got to be such a, a costly mistake looking back. Yeah. Yep. Like, that would be painful. But, I mean, luckily, the franchise itself went on. Dawn of the Dead, I'm sure, was a big success. So yeah, uh, Romero was able to make some money. Right. I wonder more, uh, you know, it's interesting to see the cast. Uh, a lot of them haven't done uh, much else outside of this or are famous for much else. Um, so I wonder if they took a hit on that by not uh, getting the you know a big box office or big return on the film if that uh, impacted their salaries or their earning potential in the future. I think on a low budget production like this in 1968, nobody's like getting points or like yeah. percentage of the of the gross. They're just hey, here's a couple thousand dollars if you stay at this farmhouse for a few weeks and sure shoot this little movie but then given like how big this film was how come uh none of these people went on to do anything else big 
That's a good question. And I think some of them like wore multiple hats on film, so they might have went on to have careers in other elements of film. Um, mm. I didn't follow up on the actors too much, but yeah, for, yeah, that's a good question. It was dismissed as as horrid by many critics at the, like yeah, immediately after release, and it played as a grindhouse movie in New York City, like at grindhouse theaters. Oh yeah, like a lot of matinees, it's, I think. Yeah, and it sounds like once it was released in Europe, which I think may have been like up to a year later, is when it started to be appreciated as a work of art, and some critics, including Roger Ebert, kind of changed their tone on it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and I think a lot of these actors, like it was their first film as well. Uh, so yeah, if it was like a slow appreciation, then I could see that. Um, also, is, speaking of like how it was being filmed, uh, this film came out like a month before the MPA or whoever came out with the ratings. So it sounds like like a lot of audiences were seeing this and this is like some of the most craziest and shocking stuff they had seen at that point. And yeah, and like even kids came to see it. I yeah. think Roger Ebert wrote up a warning to families in Reader's Digest. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah, there were stories. There's a documentary called Birth of the Living Dead that I watched and people shared stories about being kids in the theater and being like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's that blows my mind that like you'd go into this movie not knowing what to expect and like you're a young kid or something. There's no like rating in place so you don't know that it's going to be insane. Yeah, and it sounds like at the time horror movies were kind of more childish in a way, like mm. especially coming off the the fifties. Especially it was all just like yeah, the big silly monster movies and yeah. you know giant bugs and aliens and stuff like that. Yeah, pretty tame compared to like man eating uh, or yeah, people eating others, cannibalism and stuff. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I think this kind of blew people's minds. Right, yeah, which is cool. Which, like, today, obviously, it's not going to blow anyone's mind, right? Like, I, I think a kid wouldn't be too uh, upset seeing this today. What do you think? Um, I wouldn't show it to just any kid. I mean, <laughs> it may not blow minds, but it's still uh, still kind of violent, for yeah. even for today. Yeah. Or gory, rather. Yeah, yeah, there, there are a few scenes. Though, I don't know, like, compared to other zombie films, I feel like this one, I don't know if it was because of the time or the focus of, like, where, where they spent their time uh, on the, with the camera, uh, it's just that you didn't see like all like the skin falling off of them or the zombies like look nowhere like how they do in like The Walking Dead or something, right? Right, that's true. Yeah, the ghouls themselves don't look as scary, but I think there's one particular scene which I won't spoil. It's still still pretty disturbing and grisly. Oh, okay. Even okay. nowadays. Yeah. Yep. Um. Let's see. So, by the way, listeners, I'm I'm sick, so I apologize if my voice is is a little wonky. So this was released at a time when Vietnam was prominent in American politics and America had kind of lost their taste for the war. And it was the first televised war. So Americans, on the topic of that violence, they were kind of seeing more violent imagery on the news more than they were used to. Mm -hmm. And there were race riots in Newark and Detroit and racial tensions countrywide, which is part of why it's a pretty big deal that Dwayne Jones, who was cast as Ben, was black, which we'll probably talk about in our review a little bit. Uh, yeah. And that, Romero said he felt like there was a rage in the air at this time that the peaceful movements of the 60s hadn't really changed the world as much as they thought they would. And mm -hmm. we can probably talk about some of the perhaps nihilism in this movie as we review it, too. Yeah, it was interesting to hear his thoughts because I, I know he was inspired by I Am Legend, uh, but his whole thing was like he feels the, uh, like zombies and, and these kind of ghouls represent like a revolution happening. 
something that kind of ties to what you're saying and, and yeah, uh, the times as well, like in the 60s, everything that was going on. So that's a cool way. I never thought about zombies in like that sense of like this uh, big change or like people pushing back against uh, like a norm or something or some kind of counterculture movement. So right. That was cool. Right. Uh, but yeah. yeah I, it's, oh, go ahead. Interesting that he was inspired by I Am Legend because I feel like Dawn of the Dead almost has a more I Am Legend feel to it. Like that takes it to the whole next level of like grander scale apocalyptic yeah, type, type stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. This is This is like way more smaller scale. Right, right. And yeah, that's got Will Smith in it too. Um, <laughs> oh, I, was, I think there was a movie called I Am Legend Yeah, very early on. Um, boy, I can't remember what decade. Right, before this film, and, and that's like more of vampires that come out at night or something. Yeah, they're kind of vampiric. And then that was then remade, or at least there was another adaptation of it called um, The Omega Man with Vincent Price. Oh. No. Charlton Heston. Oh, okay, okay. And that was probably in the six fifties or sixties. Yeah. So Okay. Yeah, in a way those were zombies, but it was it was something pretty different. Yeah, right, right. Um cool to see that inspiration though. Uh but but yeah, on, on this actor, uh on on Dwayne, uh I so I, I read two things. One, this was the first time uh, a black actor uh is a hero in a horror film, which is believable. But then I also yeah. read that this is the first time a black actor is a main character in a film. Is that is that true? In a film period? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Can can that is that, is that true? I I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not too familiar with like films from the 60s or 50s, but could this be the first time you have a main character? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm like half of me is surprised, and half of me is like oh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, black exploitation, black exploitation started about this time, but I think that was more like early 70s type stuff. So, right. Yeah, it's it's possible. Yeah, which uh, is crazy because I think. Romero kind of downplays the casting like it doesn't seem like it was like motivated by anything race related, but it's hard not to look at it that way, right? Yeah, indeed. I, I feel like you just said he was the best actor that showed up for the audition, so right. we hired him and we didn't change the script because of that he was black. And I think he's wondered if he should have changed the script or not, but mm, yeah, the script is as it as it was. Yeah. Yeah, that that's really cool. I I, I can't believe uh, like this is the movie that that brought like a uh, that that kind of role here, which is awesome. Yeah, it's really cool, and it, yeah, it adds a whole new level of depth and meaning and disturbingness to the movie as yeah. well. Yeah, yep, totally. Um, yeah, man, I don't have too much background info that I wanted to discuss at this point. But what about you? Uh, no, I think we hit on all the main points I had. Cool. Well, I will go to our Ohio Connection then. As always, our Ohio Connection comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the Northeast Ohio area, be sure to stop by for some great drinks and great food. And Alex says, Night of the Living Dead is a horror film starring Dwayne Jones and Judith O'Day. The story follows seven people who are trapped in a rural farmhouse in western Pennsylvania, which is under assault by an enlarging group of cannibalistic undead ghouls. The film features a cameo from local radio newscaster Chuck Craig. He played multiple roles in the film, primarily as the voice on the radio and the newscaster on TV who warned us all, kill the brain and you kill the ghoul. 
He also plays a flesh-eating ghoul that can be seen outside of the farmhouse, grabbing and eating the intestines of the victims, and is one of the posse members walking across the field with his gun. Throughout Chuck Craig's radio career, he worked at many regional stations, including WWST Worcester, WHBC Canton, WJW Cleveland, WCKY Cincinnati, and WNCO Ashland, all of which were located in the state of Ohio. Wow, that's cool. So he was an actual, like, legit radio announcer? Yeah. Yeah, and apparently uh, Romero said he, like, wrote all his own copy for the for the news broadcast and wow. stuff. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think Youngstown's even listed on screen as one of the, like, rescue stations they're supposed oh. to go to. Yeah, it sounded like they were, because uh, this whole thing is shot in Pennsylvania, right? Um, probably, yes. like, yeah, close to Erie and stuff, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Romero went to school in Pittsburgh, and yeah, he he's a Pittsburgh guy. Okay. It'd be cool to go out there sometimes, see the set. Do I, I don't know, I doubt the stuff is still standing around there. I, I gotta believe you could at least go see the graveyard. Oh, yeah, right, that's gotta be there. Yeah. That'd be cool. Okay, man. Well, uh, let's get into the plot, and we're going to start spoiling stuff, everybody. But before we do that, Ashwin, do you mind if I go put some gas in my car real quick and then call you back? We're running really low. (laughs) Oh, sure. Go for it. All right, cool. I'll be right back. Hey, man, I'm back. Sorry that took so long. Oh, yeah, no worries. Everything go okay? Um, well, the lights were all out at the gas station, um, but luckily I had some wood and cloth in the trunk, and I used it to light a torch so I could see what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that that turned out to be a, a bad idea. <laughs> bad idea. I, I actually had to walk back, so that, that's what <laughs> took me so long. You know, they don't educate people enough on like not bringing wood and torches to... <laughs> to uh, <laughs> I mean, I know you're still... Not supposed to smoke, but I just thought that was for your health. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one said anything about torches. Oh man, with gas prices these days, that's that's a costly mistake. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. And car prices. Oh yeah, and car prices. Blew up my car, wasted some gas. <laughs> Not a great outing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this film begins with a brother and sister, Johnny and Barbara, at a cemetery. They've driven a long way to pay their respects and lay a wreath on their father's grave i can't remember if it was their father or their mother i think it was their father because they mentioned like their mother sent them this far or something oh right right um barbara starts to get a bit creeped out in the graveyard especially because there is a mysterious man shambling around the grounds johnny isn't taking it seriously and it's here that he gives us the famous line they're coming to get you barbara (laughs) and do you think it sounds like he's imitating vincent price's voice there ashwin oh yeah i could see that uh vincent price was around at this time Oh yeah, I guess he would have been with House of Hunt. Yeah, 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 I mean he was he was big in the fifties and and through the sixties and actually he was in uh, Witchfinder General in nineteen sixty eight. Oh, okay, but okay. By that time he had already gained a reputation as kind of being a mustache twisting villain instead of like an actual disturbing villain, which was part of the shock of Witchfinder General. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's fair. I think he was that, that sounded like a good impression impersonation. Yeah. Um, and actually, in the documentary Birth of the Living Dead, they mentioned this line being an early example of postmodernism, like a self-referential joke about horror movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's cool. Like, very, very self-aware. And I almost wondered if we got a taste of Romero's 
uh, like attitude against consumerism because Johnny goes on this rant about like, hey, we put a wreath here every year and then it's gone. Like, what happens? Does someone take it and like uh, touch it up with some spit and polish and resell it? I wonder how many times we bought the same one. <laughs> I felt for it, man. Like that's uh, that's gotta add up over the years. Yeah, yeah, you uh, you get those gripes every once in a while. Yeah. You and Johnny would have been friends. I think so. We have the same uh, cheapness to us. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm a total Barbara. Oh, yeah. <laughs> total Barbara. <laughs> uh, things get serious when the shambling man attacks Barbara, and Johnny rushes to her aid, but the man gets the better of him, and Johnny hits his head on a tombstone, knocking him unconscious. The zombie then proceeds to pursue Barbara. She makes it to her car. She doesn't have the keys. Those were with Johnny. But the zombie uses a rock to shatter the glass. She manages to disengage the parking brake, and the car rolls for a bit before crashing into a tree, and she flees on foot and finds an abandoned farmhouse that she takes shelter in. And, Ashvin, two things stood out to me about this opening. So this is like the grandfather of zombie movies, and it mostly sets the rules for zombie movies, even though... Any given movie can kind of have its own unique set of rules about the zombies. But the really striking thing to me is that the zombie that knocks Johnny unconscious doesn't stop to eat him. Right. And instead keeps going after Barbara. Yeah. And, and you know, I think uh, if, if you're watching this for the first time, uh, do you assume that like that uh, thing is a zombie or like it, it's like undead? Or do you assume it's like just someone really scary in the graveyard hanging out who's like attacking them? Uh, like, I, I don't feel like it's immediately clear that this person's a zombie, is it? I mean, the way he's walking really kind of points to zombie. I think even before these type of zombies, like walking with your arms out in front of you was kind of a zombie trope. But oh, okay. And he's got his I'm arms. I'm not totally sure. I need to like go into a deep dive on pre-Romero zombie movies. Yeah, I know. It's so hard to look at it objectively and given all we've seen. But even the fact that like he picks up a rock and like uses that as a weapon and, and yeah, to your point, he doesn't like uh, try to eat uh, the first victim there. It just like points to me towards like uh, a little bit more of a nuanced or sophisticated zombie. Yes, for sure. Yeah, The Rock was going to be my other point. And some zombie movies do display, have a degree of intelligence displayed by the zombies. Um, when we cover Day of the Dead, eventually the third movie in this franchise, we'll start to notice that some of Romero's mythology isn't really picked up by other filmmakers down the road. He's got examples of zombie intelligence in that one as well. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. that one I feel like could go either way, but I think that zombie not stopping to eat the warm meal right in front of him with Johnny mm -hmm. and instead pursuing Barbara really breaks pretty much every zombie rule Yeah, well, from, I, from here on out. Yeah, but but there were no zombie rules, right, uh, at this time? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I'm not being like, Romero, what are you doing? But it's just an interesting thing to, to look at now and, and be like, oh, interesting. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, that, that's, that is really interesting. And, and yeah. I, I love the the pacing of this uh, scene too. It's just like they're having like a normal conversation, playing around, and this thing kind of just happens in like real. Uh, it feels like very real, like the way it like kind of unfolds here. Yeah, yeah. I actually feel like the dialogue was fairly organic too. Yeah, right, right. Just kind of griping about the drive, the flowers, right? Daylight uh, savings time. Daylight savings time. Yeah, which I want to ask you later if that uh, if this is a commentary on daylight savings time. But, oh, yeah. yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, let's, let's go down that road later. Yeah. 
Um, so anyway, Barbara is in this house. She's trying to investigate if anybody is there in the house with her. And when she goes upstairs, she finds either decayed or partially devoured human remains. We see a skull with some remnants of flesh on it. She panics when she sees this and runs outside. But just as she does, a car shows up and a black man named Ben exits the car. Ben guides her back into the house and immediately starts taking practical measures. He looks for a key to the gas pump outside. He checks the phones to see if they're working. He starts boarding up the windows and shoring up doors and looking for food and tools. He's very logical and cool-headed, which is in strong opposition to Barbara's kind of flightiness and panic after her and Johnny's assault in the graveyard. Yeah, is she just like in shock at this time? It's it's like she she's not even like kind of responding or uh, like, there's no like kind of conversation between them. Yeah, I think she's in shock. Right. Um, and he tries to get her involved in helping the cause. Like he tells her to go get some wood and he comes back with like 10 two by fours and she's got like two sticks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> not very kind of reminds me of when I have my four-year-old help me put groceries away. <laughs> This is going to be us when we're like trying to start a fire in, in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in Wisconsin yeah. at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they each tell their story, like kind of their origin story, not as people, but their encounter with what's going on in the world right now. Um, ben describes that it all started for him when he saw a big gasoline truck moving in a funny way with zombies catching up to it. It went right through a guardrail, through a billboard, and took out a gas pump and became ignited and turned into a fireball. He says he can still hear the man screaming. And for those of you that have played it, this struck me as being very similar to the opening of Resident Evil 2. I had to wonder if they took inspiration from this. Oh, that's like the opening scene? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like a, the kind of like pre-programmed animated movie that happens before you even start playing. (laughs) Okay. Cool. Barbara goes on to tell her story, and as soon as she starts telling it, Ben is like rolling his eyes at her and being like, hey, can you just calm down? (laughs) Just calm down. (laughs) As soon as she starts talking. (laughs) She ultimately freaks out and slaps him across the face, to which he slaps her right back. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the interaction between these two? It's so bizarre. I mean, like, they're in such different places mentally and responding differently. I almost feel like it's a breakdown of uh, communication and, and they're not, like, uh, being able to uh, converse with each other at all or, like, kind of uh, get on the same page on anything. It's just, like, so kind of frustrating to watch, but I guess kind of believable given, like, what she's seen and, like, where she's coming from versus, like, he's kind of in this other mode of, like, seeing this uh, disaster go down and he knows kind of what to do here, thinks he knows what to do. So... It's it's frustrating, but I think it's like pretty realistic. What what did you think? I can't tell. Like it is an interesting example of like you said, communication breakdown. This whole movie is kind of like just a lesson in human interaction and, right. and where things go wrong. But at the same time, I feel like this movie is just kind of like unfair to Barbara. Like oh. I'm not going to lie, I hate Barbara. I think she's an annoying character. <laughs> but, like, she's written that way. She's like a child. Yeah. I, I understand that she's in shock, but I'd rather just have her be silent the whole movie and, like, meek and not saying much. She's just, like, mm. really odd. And and Ben is so cruel to her in a way. Like, the moment she starts talking, he's like, oh, God. Yeah. Here we go. And, like, tells her to calm down. It, Which, it's just... yeah. Which is so weird because he just told like this long story, right? Right. He went on this big like sweeping thing, like little uh, soliloquy all by himself. 
um, that was kind of like overacty. I felt like I, this is the weakest scene in the movie to me. Hmm. And she, I, I just don't like it. Yeah, I, I, I liked it, man. I, I thought you got a really uh, compelling and interesting story from him, and it like kind of puts that imagery in your mind and uh, just great way to kind of scare people without like showing something. Uh, so I, I like that part. And then, yeah, when she tries to talk, you kind of get a sense of like how uh, her how fragmented like her mind is, or, like or her thought process or where she is. Uh, and so I think it's like the height of like the the clash between them. And like it breaks out in like the slapping thing, which uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of sim- symbolic of like their whole uh, being like such different people or something. Yeah, interesting. And, and those are good points. And I did have that same point that he, it's cool that he paints this picture of this scene that this low budget movie can't cannot give us, you know, right. we can't show a truck and a ball of fire. Yeah. Um, so it's cool that he expands the world like that with his story. Right, right. Um, but yeah, and and I I hear what you're saying too about giving us a window into Barbara's mind. I just I'm not in love with this scene and mm-hmm. obviously the smack doesn't age well. Um, and there's just a, a big smacks. movie trope at the time of like hysterical women and you either need to grab them by the shoulders and shake them or smack them across the face. Yeah, yeah. It's, right. Do you remember that scene in Airplane where people on the plane are just lining up to <laughs> slap each other? Yeah. Shake and slap this one woman who's like <laughs> yeah. gone hysterical. Ah, oh, that was good, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, there's definitely a trope here that that uh, they're playing up against. Um, I don't like. Yeah, I, I think he perceives her as being hysterical, and I kind of feel like that's like uh, the commentary here is like he's not really understanding what she's been through or where he's uh, where where she's coming from. But uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't, yeah, or, or maybe you're right. Like maybe Romero was just kind of like making her one dimensional, and like that's just like who he's defining her as. Yeah, and I mean Ben is the hero of this movie, but he's not, like, painted as a squeaky clean guy. Like, yeah. he's got his faults are you, and shortcomings. Are you, like, at this point suspicious of him at all, or, like, do you feel like he's a good guy? Oh, I, I think I thought from, you know, the first time I saw this movie was many years ago, but I think I just assumed good guy. Hmm, okay. Because I think, like, uh, I think at some point in the story, he refers to the fact that the truck that he showed up in um, I don't think it's his, right? Like, didn't he steal it from somewhere? Or, like, he, he got it, like, maybe, th- like, he was at a diner, things were going down, and he took this truck or something? Yeah, and I, I took that as, like, a, you know, panic, and, and uh, I just gotta get away however I can. That's what I, how I usually think when I steal cars, too. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 got, I gotta get home. <laughs> yeah, I'm just panicked here, I gotta get back. Uh, but I don't know. I, in my mind, like some some of the dialogue here, I know he's like considered the hero here, but there's also like a, a seed of doubt that I think some of his actions paint uh, around like, yeah, what's he been running from or what's his backstory? Because you don't really know too much about him, right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you don't know too much about anybody with their like full backstory. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So speaking of anybody, we soon learn that there are more people in the house who've been hiding down in the basement. There's Harry and Helen Cooper and their young daughter, Karen, as well as two young lovers, Tom and Judy. Ben is pissed right away at them for not coming up to help when they heard Barbara screaming. And Harry says, you're telling us we've got to risk our lives just because somebody needs help? And Ben says, yeah, something like that. (laughs) 
And it's, this kind of begins their character opposition that's maintained through the rest of the movie. They're always butting heads about what the best approach is. Mm-hmm. And Harry can maybe be seen as a bit more cowardly and like wormy mm-hmm. and only interested in himself and his family while Ben is trying to do theoretically what's best for the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, I, I, don't I know. think there's also just like commentary on heroics there too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Is the cowardly approach sometimes the better approach? I guess. I mean, yeah, I, I know Ben is painting him as a coward. Uh, but I, and I, I know like the other character in there is his name Tom. Yes. Yeah. Tom is also like has his doubts, but I feel like Harry had some good points around like, yeah, let's barricade ourselves in the basement and stay safe there. So I was, you know, yeah, I know like he's kind of portrayed as a coward, but I think that he was on, he might be onto something and I want to circle back on that later. Right. Yeah. And the whole, they get into a whole big argument here about Ben wanting to stay on the main floor and board up everything. Um, and Harry wanting to stay in the basement and, yeah, you know, one of them saying oh, the basement's a death trap and the other one's saying there's windows everywhere. Like you're totally, ex- totally exposed. There's tons of weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this kind of spawned a soap opera aspects of some zombie media. Like what The Walking Dead turned into has its roots in this dynamic here, yeah, right? Like the human conflict. Zombies essentially just setting the background of a, a human story and human conflict. Totally. And like a way to examine human nature and human cooperation. Yeah, yeah. You put like a group of humans in a small space together and try to get them to like govern themselves and make decisions together. That's like where the interesting story comes from. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's all pretty authentic and realistic. Like it seems like a silly argument about where they should be, but yeah. it's kind of like life or death and at that point in time the most important thing in the world to decide on. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know, like I, I didn't feel at this point like I, I knew like who was right or who was wrong here. Like did you feel like... Yeah, you would have gone with one versus the other. I I don't know. I think I was on Ben's side, but it I don't think it was so clear. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a gray area. Sorry, everybody. If I were listening to my voice right now, I'd be annoyed. So thanks for bearing with us. Oh, I'm sure it'll come out good. <laughs> uh, throughout the second act, we see more zombies gathering outside the house. Uh, some hands burst through a window, causing Ben to shoot at the zombies which is when we can see as viewers that the zombies seem to only die with a headshot, as is later mentioned on the news. We also learn from a news broadcast that there are shelters stationed throughout the area that the media and government are urging people to try to get there's to. A, there's like a, a lot of talk. Uh, I feel like a lot of this movie is like them reporting up the place and like listening to the radio or TV, right? And like a lot of like information that they're trying to get from the TV or from the radio. Yeah, yeah. The whole like second act is like, setting up the character dynamics and learning information from the news. Do you think the second act gets slow at all? It does, yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel like it goes on for a long time, uh, and you get, like, a lot of, I, I think, repeat scenes maybe in a way where, like, nothing's happening, but you're just, like, kind of learning stats from the radio or hearing what's going on around the world or something. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but them hearing that there are these rescue stations makes them decide eventually to try to make for the gas pump on the property. They've found the keys to it in the basement. Um, then they're going to use that to fuel up a pickup truck and then head towards the nearest rescue station. Mm-hmm. They've learned at some point that the zombies don't like fire, so they have Harry throw Molotov cocktails out one of the upstairs windows while Ben and Tom make a break for the truck to get to the pump. They're going to like run the few feet out to the truck, then drive it with the little gas it has to the pump. 
Um, Tom's girlfriend, Judy, can't bear to see him go, so she jumps in the truck with them, and they make it to the pump, but Tom spills some gas on the torch that Ben has laid on the ground, causing the truck to ignite and ultimately explode, yeah. killing Tom and Judy who are inside. Um, and shortly after this is when the movie gets real, and we see a scene of the ghouls feasting on Tom and Judy's remains, and it's pretty graphic. Yeah, yeah, this, this is like a, a good montage, like a few minutes long of just ghouls like snacking on human body parts. Yeah, it's a snacking montage. Yeah, exactly. Eating meat off the bones, <laughs> gnawing on entrails and organs. Yep, yep. Probably the, For 1968, it's certainly something to see. Yeah, probably, this is probably like the goriest part of the film, or most, most shocking. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, I think so, goriest and most shocking. Yeah. And the 60s has started to get a little bit gory, but for the as big as this movie got, it's it's pretty intense like compared to some of the gorier grindhouse stuff that was coming out before this. Sure, yeah, I bet. Um, ben Buns... Ben Buns. <laughs> ben runs back to the house and with his strong buns yeah. and finds that Harry is hesitating to let him back in. So when Ben finally makes it in, he gives Harry... Quite a few punches to the face. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, Harry is essentially revealed here to be the sleazebag slash coward that we all thought he was. There's no great reason not to let Ben back in. Well, I, I, I can think of like a hundred great reasons not to let uh, Ben back in. Like the hundred zombies out there. Like I said, this is the scene where Ashvin is re- revealed to be the sleazebag and coward that we all thought he was. You got to be risk-averse in these kind of situations. <laughs> you know, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, but you kind of just, it didn't seem like that's where Harry was coming from with this, did it? Uh, no, he was all about like self-preservation. Um, though, I don't know, he does have a family to look out for versus Ben, which, you know, I'm, I'm not sure who Ben's looking out for. Is it just himself or for everyone um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little conflicted, but I, I do feel like the movie's definitely putting you against uh, Harry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I do think that's where the movie's kind of trying to lead you. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. By the end, you, you kind of wonder. Right. But it did seem to me like Harry was very interested in getting rid of Ben um, and mm-hmm. making sure he didn't have to contend with him and that he would find a way to be right and be back in power. And yeah. this felt like an opportunity for him. Right, yeah, this is the whole power struggle. Yeah, but anyway, now that the zombies have a taste for flesh, they seem even more relentless, and they start breaking down the house's defenses. In the chaos, Ben catches Harry trying to steal the gun from him, and so Ben just straight up shoots Harry. Yeah, right? And and Harry is dying, but he makes his way down the basement, seemingly to say goodbye to his young daughter, who's been lying unconscious down there with an undisclosed injury this whole time. Um... Then Harry's wife, Helen, rushes downstairs to find her daughter, Karen, feasting on her father, Harry. Harry's arm is missing, and Karen proceeds to stab her mother to death with a trowel. I thought that was a really cool scene. What did you think? Very cool scene. Yeah, the mother, the daughter coming up on the mother. with the. Another unusual zombie action in that she kills her mother with a weapon. Yeah, and and that's the other thing. Like uh, even on like when you're watching the news and hearing the voiceover on like what's going on along the East Coast, uh, like it's very specific. Like this is coming from the East, parts of the Midwest, and they're saying that people are like coming back. Uh, it's like like at first it's just described as like these murderers are going around killing people, and then it's revealed that oh yeah they're also undead, like they're recently deceased. So uh, yeah, I kind of feel like these people are being painted as murderers versus zombies in a way. Yeah, yeah. They are in the news for sure. Right. Rather than just people looking to eat. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which makes it a little, a little like different in terms of how scary it is. It's like a different. What did you think face. of Ben's decision to shoot Harry? Was it justified? Uh, I don't think so, man. That that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I, I get it. Like they'd been kind of sparring this whole time, but I thought it kind of made Ben into like a murderer um, a little bit. I mean, yeah, we we know the other guy wanted the gun, but I don't think I, I don't I don't know if Harry would have shot Ben. Do you think so? I think Harry would have shot Ben. Really? You think he had it in him to like just kill the dude? Hmm. That would have been whether he had the guts to pull the trigger is another question. But I think he wanted Ben dead. Okay. Yeah. It's tough because yeah, I don't know that that justified getting shot. But at the same time, if you're Ben, this guy just like almost let you die, seeming possibly just because he wanted you out of the way. Right. And now he's trying to like take the gun from you when you're not looking. Yeah. But also Ben like put himself in charge of the gun and says like, if we're up on the main floor, I'm in charge and you take orders from me. Right. Yeah. Kind of just like, yeah. Whoa, dude. Okay. Yeah. You're going to get some friction there. Yeah. Uh, So, so, yeah. Are you still, are you still team Ben? At this point, I don't know that I'm team anybody. Okay. (laughs) You're team Barbara now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm team Barbara. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe team Karen down in the basement. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, the score, oh yeah, when, when she kills her mom, the score dies out and all we hear are these reverberating, distorted screams repeating. It's uh-huh. very stylized and very sixties. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting and kind of a cool departure with the rest of the style of the movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So now too. Ben and Barbara, the only two people left, but wouldn't you know it, brother Johnny shows up at the house as a zombie and takes Barbara away into the zombie hordes where she is presumably consumed. And Ben, after arguing ferociously with Harry for half the movie that the basement was a death trap, ends up locking himself in the basement, shooting all the dead people slash zombies down there in the head, Harry, Helen, and Karen, and staying safe as the zombies eventually move on. The next morning, there's a mix of police officers and citizen militia roaming the countryside, killing any zombies they find, And Ben hears them and looks out the window at what he assumes is going to be his salvation, only to get shot right between the eyes by one of the militia men who assumes he's a zombie. Mm -hmm. And the final shots of the movie are just still photos as the credits run of Ben's body being dragged by this mob out of the house and thrown onto a fire. And yeah. it really, I mean, Ben being cast, a black man being cast in the role of Ben, it really has a haunting vibe about it. It looks like a lynch mob or something. Totally, yeah, being burned. Uh, like, the ending is haunting and disturbing and nihilistic either way, but, like, add that to the mix and it's just like, oh, shit. Yeah, I know. It feels It's really scary. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, even the way it's presented, like, is there, like, a voiceover going on uh, while this is happening? Well, like I the think while it's happening, I think there's a little bit of score, like theremin music. Oh, okay, yeah. And then I think you just hear like the the like civilian crowd slash posse just like talking to each other and going oh, about yeah. their business. Yeah, I think maybe you even hear like the fire burning. Right. Yeah, just giving instructions and stuff. Pretty routine. Yeah. Yeah. All while the credits roll and you see this this series of still photos. Yeah. Ben's body being just dragged out to the fire. It's it's disturbing it's an intense way to end the movie right and a good way to end the movie yep yep yeah well what did you think of it as a whole 
as a whole, the movie as a whole? Uh, it was really cool, man. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I think the black and white, I, I you sent me this movie years ago, like on DVD, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I sent you like a burnt copy of it. Yeah. And, and it, it's nice to know I wasn't violating any copyright laws when I did that. <laughs> we can say that publicly without getting in trouble. Uh, yeah, and I think the black and white aspect those threw me off. It just seemed like too old of a movie, and I, I, I wasn't a fan of old movies. But um, it, I think that was more purposefully done than, uh, like, it was a decision, right, to shoot in black and white. It wasn't like that color didn't exist then, right? Yeah, at this point in time, most movies were being released in color. So it was a decision. Yeah. I don't know if it was an artistic decision or a cost decision. Okay. Uh, I don't even know at that point if it would have been that much yeah, more. extra. I got to believe it would have because then you got to go through a colorization process. I, th- I think mm. it saves you money too. Okay. But yeah, I, I thought that that uh, played really well into the film and uh, made it like pretty creepy and haunting and like added a, a layer of um, really great visuals to it. So I thought the cinematography was great. The directing pacing was good. I know it like dragged a bit in the second half, but uh, once like the, the, the car blows up and uh, the zombies come into the house, I, I thought it got really good. And I, yeah, I, I think to your earlier point, like this is just a great exposition of humans trapped in a place and how like they kind of unleash violence and like break down uh, in trying to like survive something, which I think is like core to like a lot, so many great zombie films and this kind of set the stage there. So I yeah, I liked it a lot. What, what, what did you think? I agree. I like it a lot too. And I do feel the second act is slow, but in a way it almost makes the third act feel even more shocking and intense because once that car explodes and the zombies eat uh, Tom and Judy, everything just goes to hell pretty quickly. After it does, that. right? It's, it's isn't it weird that like a lot of the, like the first and the second half, like the when they look out the window, it's kind of the same like five or six zombies by the car shot, but then like suddenly at the end, like you have like this big horde. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah, it just accelerates really quick. I agree. I thought the cinematography was really cool, especially when Barbara first enters the house. Just the lighting there is really cool. Yeah. Very intriguing. And the camera work was really cool. Like some of it is kind of cheap and and low budget looking, but it's also kind of like a lot of handheld type stuff. Right. Or the camera's placed at weird angles to get us right into the action, which gives it a much more realistic feel feel than... like other Hollywood movies at the time. Yeah, I noticed that, especially in scenes like where he's like hammering stuff or they're like uh, up against some zombies. It almost jumps to like hand cam and like the, the camera's like tilted. So yeah, it does kind of feel like someone's there like watching them, right? Yeah, and almost like it doesn't have a found footage feel, but like almost like the vibe of found footage movies. It, yeah. It makes it feel more realistic. It does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's surprising. It, it works really well. And I think the story is great. Like, there's a lot to like about it. It's a a cool, it, like, the interactions between the characters, it's all really cool, a cool examination of human nature. I feel like, in a way, the characters are kind of cardboard cutouts, but at the same time, I think it works because you're exploring the dynamics between different personality types. Yeah, yeah, you have, like, so many points of friction, like, so many different types of people. Um, there was some like uh, underlying friction like between uh, Harry and his wife, right? Um, yeah, she she like kind of nudges it, insults him maybe a few times. Like um, she, at one point, she's like, "That's important, isn't it? That you end up being right or right. something like that." And yeah, she's like, "We don't like living together, but it doesn't mean we have to die together." Exactly, <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> 
Uh, and then, like, even, like, Tom and uh, his girlfriend, Judy, like, they're a whole different vibe. Uh, yeah, I feel like every character kind of has their vibe, but I, I hear what you're saying, too, that they're also not, like, entirely built out, but the interactions between them makes it really interesting. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty, like, what you see is what you get. Like, yeah. disgruntled, like, middle-aged man, like, his wife trapped in a loveless marriage, and yep. then, like, two young lovers, like, a jock and a pretty, you know... Yeah, girl. There's really not much. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much to the character of Judy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy that uh, oh Ben. Uh, so yeah, we find out at the end that apparently Harry had the right idea the whole time. Then right, like stay in the basement, you'll be right. fine. So right. I mean, that's the that's the thing about it is yeah. Had they listened to Harry, who the movie kind of. I don't know if it leads your hand or not. I mean, it sounds like you and I both went different directions on that but it almost feels like harry's the the silly one and the one you should root against but had they listened to harry they all theoretically would have been safe as long as they could have killed karen (laughs) before it was too late yeah the the daughter right yeah so do you think it's fair to say that ben killed everyone (laughs) i mean he came in with his heroics tried to in a way he let he led them down the wrong path yeah yep uh, in in many ways, I mean, but at the same time, how would they know? Yeah, it's tough. How do you know the zombies are just going to clear out? Like, we don't even know why that happened, right? Uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can't tell, yeah, in, like in retrospect. Uh, he, he just mm-hmm. got unlucky, I guess. But Yeah, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, it, like, his points were valid, and Tom even agreed to an extent. Like, once you're down there... You're down there and you are stuck. Like, there's only one way out. And if they breach that door, you're fucked. But right. upstairs, you at least have a way out. You can then run upstairs or downstairs from there. They just should have had a plan in place. Like, yeah. if these get breached, we don't try to shore it up among zombie hands. We go downstairs. Right, right, exactly. Uh, I thought, like, by that chain of logic, like, you shouldn't even be in a house and you should just be, like, out in the open where you have like 360 degrees to run in, right? Yeah, I think the the danger with that is the longevity of it. Oh, okay, yeah. You're going to get tired Because zombies don't get tired, they'll just keep coming. Yeah, yeah, sure. So like you can't stop to rest or sleep or anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But they could, I don't know, they could, if if their goal was to like get to like a shelter, um, and I know they tried the car route, that didn't work, why not just like take off on foot and like run towards that shelter? I think it's because you'd always, for, I can't remember how far away they said the shelter was. I think it was like 17 miles or something. Oh, yeah, that's a hike. I don't think you can go 17 miles without resting. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Good point. So, yeah, Uh, it's tricky. I feel like you kind of got to shore up somewhere. What's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Like, take shelter somewhere until you get an opportunity. Sure. That makes sense. Um, yeah. One other very interesting thing that uh, I think we should mention, you know, we're talking about like this in some ways, like breaking these zombie rules that, that we know today. What do you think of that whole conversation that we overheard on on like the news and everything about this being uh, a result of like some some radiation from space or something? Yeah, right. Yeah, that was a, a reason that they were kind of, it wasn't all out said that it was the reason, but it, I don't know, it feels like that's what the movie was trying to tell you. Like the ex- an explorer satellite that was sent to Venus started back to Earth but never made it to Earth 
it was destroyed by NASA and contained some sort of radiation with it. And they think maybe some of that radiation fell back down to Earth. Yeah, and that's might be what's causing the undead to come back. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so like there's some disagreement about it, but as the movie goes on and you hear more news broadcasts, it sounds like they get more confident that that's the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, and I don't know, man. Like, I, I know this is like gave birth to tell the zombie movies, but they never say zombie. These are like ghouls who have come back and murder people. There's some connection to space, so it could be like some sci-fi thing. So part of me, like watching this, uh, was like, is this a zombie movie? Uh, I mean, it inspired a bunch of zombie movies, but are, are these true zombies? What, what do you think? Yeah, I think they're true zombies. Anything that comes back from the dead to eat flesh. Is a zombie to me. Um, but what about a vampire? Unless it's just, yeah, well, the distinction is drinking blood or eating flesh. Okay, so. Like, or a restaurant. <laughs> so if it has a straw with it, if it's just going for the blood, then it's a vampire. But if it's a mixture of the blood and the skin, then you're saying zombie. Yes. And intelligence level, you know, like Dracula can live forever and, and yeah. pass as a human. But these things are like shambling, falling apart, like their brain is alive. They don't need to have arms or body parts. Like, yeah, they are dead, dead. Okay, okay. I don't know, like that first zombie that we saw, uh, it just seemed a little more animated than like a typical zombie. I wouldn't say like its skin was falling off or anything. And I think when she runs into it in the uh, graveyard, I don't I don't think like she's like, oh, this is like, this was a dead person. Uh, yeah, I mean, when they... I don't think there's anything in this movie that has, like, people with missing arms or anything like that. Right. Probably just because they didn't really have the budget to do that, but... Yeah, okay, so these are, like, low-budget zombies. Yeah, like, Dawn of the Dead will go on to to do that. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I just thought there were some cool uh, nuances here, and uh, I I like that it was, like, more like these murderous ghouls uh, who might have been, like, something created from some space accident than just, like, straight-up random zombies. Sure, for sure. Um, back to Tom and Judy, there's a kind of a dated line in here where Tom is like, you always have a smile for me. Like, oh, can you yeah. g- give me a smile? <laughs> and this is a dated line, but it's funny because the movie we're covering next week, Fresh comments on this phrase that men sometimes say to women. So oh, it was interesting really? to see yeah. that back to back. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's such an old school uh, relationship there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. What else? Oh, um, do you, oh, commentary-wise, so, I, yeah, you think this is uh, something to do with, like, uh, tying to what was going on in Vietnam War um, or capitalism or anything, or what are you leaning towards? I feel like it's a disillusionment with everything. Like, everything is criminalized in this movie. If it really was radiation, then... Maybe science and progress is to blame and technology because they started meddling in things and sent a satellite to space that brought back this radiation. Mm, The military government told them to go to this shelter and that was the wrong move. They should have stayed where they were. Um, the, The news told them that too, so the media is incriminated. The heroes end up being like local police and citizens but they accidentally shoot Ben in the face, so they're incriminated. And I think just like humankind in general is incriminated by the malfunction in the group dynamics here. Like, they make decisions that don't turn out to be the best. They One of them kills the other one, 
it's just a total breakdown of everything. Yeah, yeah, society, government, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a really good view on it. Yeah. What were your thoughts on themes and stuff like that? Uh, I agree. You know, one thing throughout, uh, there was a lot of attention, like, we got to get to the TV, we got to see what's on, they're going to tell us what to do, let's follow what they say. So, kind of like showed a dependency there on, like, needing to hear information, be informed, and, like, uh, follow the instructions on the screen. Sure, right. And, like, a blind trust of the media. Like, Tom, I think Tom, a direct quote from Tom at some point is, the television said that's the right thing to do. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> can't can't question that. <laughs> I think there's a lot of commentary about masculinity here too. Like going back to the Ben versus Harry argument. Like yeah. Ben is taking the more perhaps traditionally masculine approach. Like we can do this. Like we're going to take these risks that we need to take to get it done. And Harry's like, no, let's pump the brakes. And I think the masculinity themes are kind of hinted at a few more times. Like they're talking about moving on foot at one point, And Harry says something about carrying the injured child. And Ben's like, I can carry the kid. Oh, yeah. And Harry kind of shoots him a glance like, oh, like you can carry her, but I can't. Um, so there's definitely like a challenge of, of manhood between the two of them. So, sounds like you and I. That's <laughs> <laughs> like comparing dick sizes or something. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it kind of is. That's kind of what's going on between Ben and Harry, and I, yeah. I think that both of them are equally as guilty in that. I think so. It's interesting that Tom doesn't fall into that. Yeah, that's true, because he's like all American boy, like football player type dude. But he, he kind of is the mediator in a way and smooths things over. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I had a theory that the way everyone dies uh, might tie to like a weakness of theirs or, or like their biggest uh, threat in society. Um, oh, well, all right. Let's hear that. Well, so uh, Harry gets shot and killed, right? And uh, I, th- I think that's like his um, cowardice or whatever that like gets him killed because he tries to go for that gun and gets shot. Um, something to do with the mom uh, being killed by her daughter, who could be like the thing that is um you know closest or like her, her most vulnerable part or something um and then uh ben especially like um you know uh being a black man in, in 1968 and then uh whatever like the state of you know like a, a white militia like that is i mean that's probably uh you know probably like one of the biggest threats right or like that that, that can't be a good sign uh when, yeah. you see, when you see that rolling up the street so yeah, I, w- I wonder if it was like trying to tie like each of their debts to something in society that was like against uh, whoever they were as a person at that time. Interesting. Barbara uh, was killed by her brother. Yeah, yeah, right. Barbara was killed by her brother. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how that fits in. Um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't get, but I, I like t- the theory. Yeah, yeah. They, they, Barbara and Johnny. That, that was like an interesting relationship to start the movie with. I, I, I thought they were like husband and wife until like uh, it took me like a few minutes to figure out that oh, they're siblings. Uh, did, did, did you like know that right off the bat? I can't remember how I felt on my first watch, but yeah, even like when she's in shock, she's talking about him so much. It's like <laughs> she talks about him like she's like he's her husband or something. Yeah, yeah. They're like strangely like really close and like tied together. But she just saw him die, so I get it. I yeah. get it, Barbara. Yeah, okay, okay. I get it, Barbara. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I think that, do you think there's like some commentary around race here? I thought it was interesting that like the two characters we're with for the first half of this film or like, you know, first quarter is, uh, you know, like a, a white blonde woman and then, uh, yeah, a, a black man. So uh, do, you, yeah. do you think there was some commentary going on here? I mean, accidentally. Yeah. But I mean, that wasn't written that way. Mm, yeah. But yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, like I did. A, it's a cool, uh, cool dynamic to have. Yeah. Also, I'm looking through my notes and I'm realizing there was a news report about an amputee coming back to life. Oh. So. Oh yeah. There is that element of zombies that they can come back with many missing. Well, I guess I mean that. Yeah, it depends on what the amputee situation was because people can survive and be an amputee but yeah yeah maybe they had, it like, sounded a like it was someone who like lost a lot of blood from a serious injury uh, yeah uh, yeah sorry i think you're right did, did you like the aspect of uh i mean i i loved that like throughout the film a lot of like what's going on and being described to you is you're not seeing it happen it's being like described on the radio or on the news did you do you like that aspect of it i did because i mean there's only so much you can do with the budget for this movie so it was cool to open up the world and yeah i know that some people can kind of consider that a way of like cheating or getting an exposition in an easy way but in a movie where a bunch of characters are trapped in a farmhouse mm-hmm. i think the the news makes sense they would be glued to the news so right right um i enjoyed getting the exposition and the news coverage that way i actually felt the news coverage was really realistic and uh yeah added authenticity to the movie yeah yeah i feel the same way yeah that was really cool great great way to portray portray what was going on outside of the house yeah, uh, I could see this being like a great like theater production. Like, uh, it's just like you're w- one setting. It's a group of people interacting together, getting news from the outside. Things are happening at the door. It's, it's yeah, that's a good point. It could really work as a as a theater production. Yeah, all you got to yeah. do is have some arms come through the the sets back there. And <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you got your zombies. Yeah, yeah, that'd be pretty cool to see. Um, did you think there was any tie to the idea that it was daylight savings time? Does that have much do with the plot or, or no? I think it was just that Johnny liked to gripe about everything he could. <laughs> Here's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> but did you have a daylight savings time theory? No, I, I just thought it was interesting that they picked that day to, to have all this go down and they're talking about like Night of the Living Dead, um, which daylight, like this would have been like the longest day, right? Or like it would have been like dark later, I guess. Right? Um... If, yeah, I guess it would be. I guess it depends on if this was fall or spring. I'm not sure which oh, one. Oh, yeah, good point. I assumed like October, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It could have been a commentary about how that was uh, done to make it so farmers could work longer or something, right? Oh, Can't yeah. can't remember why they did daylight savings time. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. There, there's those anti-capitalism vibes coming from Romero already. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Early on in his career, hey, <laughs> no, uh, they got I, rid I of daylight know. savings time, right? Recently? No, I mean there was a bill going around about it, but I think it kind of died. Ah, damn! Someone told me like we're never going to do it again. I I can't. I haven't been keeping up with it, but the last I checked in, I thought it had kind of fizzled out. But I okay. I've lost touch with that that story, so maybe I'm wrong. Okay, okay. Uh, oh, I had one last question for you. Who was that dead body in the house? I think it was just the the woman who lived there. Who had already been attacked by some zombies? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and then they moved on. Okay. Maybe it was her, her own husband or something like that. Yeah, okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I think the only other thing I want to cover before we start uh, giving our rating is 
a great quote from the police chief uh, who was asked by the newscaster, are they slow moving, chief? And he said, yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. (laughs) And that line was apparently ad-libbed. Like, I think all the police chief's lines were ad-libbed. Oh, man. I loved, like, what he was saying. Like, it was just so, like, natural. Yeah, yeah. uh, Well, we don't know too much. (laughs) He was a cool character. Yeah, Yeah. this movie is surprisingly realistic in a lot of ways. Yeah, no one, like, feels, like, overacted or anything. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, let's see. Zero to five abandoned farmhouses. What do you give this one? Uh, man, I, I looked at a lot. I give it five uh, abandoned farmhouses, just like oh shit, man. <laughs> yeah, I remember you not being as up on this in I the know. past, and me being more up on it. I know, I know. I, I didn't think I liked this movie, but uh, watching it again, I think I just appreciated a lot more what he was going for here, and uh, the stylistic decision for the black and white uh, is a lot better. I, I was assumed it was like a, a technology thing, so the, I think I just appreciated his uh, thing here a lot more. So it's uh, yeah, great, great film. Well done. What, what did you think? Awesome, man. You know what, dude? I gave it a four, and I felt like that's the way I felt about it the last time I watched it. I don't entirely know why. Hmm. I think the initial interaction between Ben and And Barbara Barbara just feels weird to me. Yeah. I think Barbara is just like a, a character that's just almost unnecessary and just is so awkward to even be there. Like, I get having a character who's in shock, yeah. to show how some people would react to the situation. But it's just done so poorly to me. I, I just don't really care for it. And then I do think the second act gets a little slow. But sure, I do really love the movie. I feel like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, a five. Yeah. Um, but Over it's time. one of those movies where the the awe of it all has kind of like worn away for yeah. me over the years as I rewatch it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, um, that makes sense. Yeah, but but, yeah. I, I feel like I could watch it one day and be like, what the fuck is wrong with me? This is a five. So Yeah. It, it feels very unique. Uh, but I, I hear you. Bar- Barbara, like, it does feel like there's a lot, like, being left on the table is an interesting choice to have her uh, be that way. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I thought it was, like, an extreme portrayal of, like, someone in shock who just can't, like, function in a way. And, and like, we don't know enough about her to be like, yeah, this isn't her or, like, how she right. would be. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't think I would have wanted more depth on the characters, but um, yeah, yeah. I think part of them just kind of being like cardboard cutouts may take a little away from the movie, but I'm not totally sure. Sure, sure. I don't know. Yeah, I, I have my suspicions, man. I feel like Ben might have had like a troubled past, and was like running from something, um, and you know, Harry obviously and, and his wife are obviously going through something. Uh, so I don't know. I, I feel like you could do like a whole prequel on this potentially, and. Find find out some interesting things. I bet there's something bizarre about Johnny and uh, Barbara. <laughs> you know what's weird? I don't even know if this movie has a main character. Like yeah. everyone would say Ben, but when you really think about it, I don't know that he gets that much more screen time than other people. No, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, like good point. He he probably gets more screen time than any individual, but it's not that much more. Like he doesn't even show up for the first ten minutes or so, which right. Makes sense, but yeah, then it's yeah. kind of just about like all the characters. It's not about Ben and his plight. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does kind of take a leadership role though, like or become like the ringleader for a little bit. But uh, yeah, outside of that, he's not much of a main character, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if anybody's a main character, it's Ben. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but he's not as front and center as a traditional main character. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Well, that averages out to a four point five, which I feel good about. Okay. Cool. 
<laughs> uh, anything else you want to discuss before uh, we wrap things up? Oh, wait, one thing we didn't comment on. I thought the soundtrack was really cool and interesting. What did you think of that? Oh, yeah, we didn't comment on that. I really liked the score. It it started out as more feeling like a 50s big silly monster movie score. Um, but then it kind of got more 60s, a little more synthy. Yeah. Almost sounded electronic at some points. Yeah. I think there's some theremin thrown in there. Right. It got more haunting and disturbing as the movie went on, and so did the movie. Right. So I really liked it. I thought that was a high point. Yeah, I thought so too. I was really impressed by that. Uh, some really cool sounds, and love the way it progressed. Oh, man, I'm wondering if I should raise my rating. <laughs> I'm going to stick with my gut of four and, and reserve that someday I might come back and say it should have been a five here. Yeah, but I'm glad yeah. we, we averaged to a 4.5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good place to land. Okay. Well, that has been our episode on Night of the Living Dead, everybody. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I want to thank you all for hanging with us in my shaky voice for this episode. I don't normally sound like this. Um, if you want to connect with us, you can go to horrormovieclub.com, and we've got links for Facebook and Twitter where we usually inform people what movie we're going to be covering next week, so you can go watch it. Uh, like we said, we're going to cover Fresh next week, uh, so go ahead and watch that on Hulu. I think that's on. Yep. And we also have a link on our website to our Discord server where we're chatting with a bunch of horror movie fans and listeners of the show. So come on out there and hang out with us. Always good conversation there. If you want to support us financially, you can find a link to our Patreon account on horrormovieclub.com. Pay a buck a month and access some bonus content from us. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. Check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you're ever trapped in a farmhouse and can't decide which floor to take refuge on, maybe you should all stop shouting and just let Barbara decide. <laughs> Barbara. She seems to know her shit. <laughs> yeah, no one ever asked her. I feel like she had the Nobody right. asked Barbara. <laughs> <You know. laughs> oh, man. <laughs> just gotta slap her in the face just slap her in the face three more times and she'll yeah she'll tell you will finally smash enough sense into her that she'll be able to talk (laughs) and then then tell her to calm down yeah that always works (laughs) 